Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. My guest today is multifaceted, but among the many things that she does, she is an activist, she's an inspirational speaker, and a certified life coach, and I could not be more excited to chat with her today, Ms. Blossom C. Brown. Blossom, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. So grateful to be here. So I am really inspired by you and your story. And just, you know, we finally met in person a couple of weeks ago, but I know we've been following each other on social media for a while. And um, you have a lot to you have a lot to share. And I am really excited for my listeners to hear your story. But I want to go back to the beginning because you grew up in Mississippi. So what was your journey like growing up in the South, being in the black community, but also being a member of the LGBTQ community. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Mississippi. I was literally born 15 minutes away from where Emmett Till's body was found in Money, Mississippi. So I am, I come from the rich history of like Jim Crow and, and everything like that. Um, painful history, that is, I should say. Um, growing up down south, it was not easy. Um, trying to discover who I was was not an easy task because religion was a big thing in the south where, you know, you have to dress this way, you have to act this way if you are male, if you are female. Uh, to them, there's no in-between, according to them. And so a lot of a lot of growing up was really me trying to hide a lot of who I was. I'm the oldest of four. My parents were kind of strict on me a little bit because, you know, when you're the oldest, you have to be the example and, you know, you have to make the way for everybody else. And so they were a little bit more strict on me. And so just trying to find out just who I was was probably one of the most difficult things. Originally, I came out as bisexual, but then... I would say after high school, I found myself more of, of being trans. I discovered more of my trans, um, my need to transition. And so it was one of those things where I would have to hide playing with dolls. I would have to hide coloring my uh, fingernails with crayons because that was something I loved to do. Going to a predominantly black school and coming out as like bisexual was even tougher because um, there were a lot of things that people just really didn't understand about sexuality within the right. Black community back right. then. And even being trans is still a taboo topic in the Black community. But right. I do think it's getting better. Um, there weren't a lot of resources for trans people. Um, the resources that have come now were kind of like an aftermath of things that were constantly happening. Like uh, in Mississippi, they were pay they were trying to pass anti-trans um, legislation, anti-LGBTQ legislation and all of those things. And so healthcare expanded because I did a lot of work in healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it was just a lot of different things. And then um, when I got to college, um, I tried, I wanted to be a nurse. Um, nursing was something that I wanted to do because I just love helping other people. I mm -hmm. love um, to see other people happy and to see other people thrive. And so originally I wanted to work with geriatrics because I found the fascination of older people incredible because usually older people come with wisdom. They come with knowledge. And I was just loving that. So I was like, okay, how can I get back to them? But again, going through college, when I started really discovering my transness was when the shift kind of changed from geriatric work to LGBTQ work. Mm -hmm. And basically, long story short, when I got to community college, um, I got denied into their nursing program about five times between my freshman year and sophomore year. 
And then when I got to uh, the university level, which I spent like a year, year and a half in, um, I got put on the waiting list for the sixth time. And then um, they said no. And um, which was crazy because I ended up having to switch my major to public health. And um, what ended up happening was incredible because I started doing work with the human rights campaign. I told them my story and somehow, some way I ended up on Caitlin's show. I ended up on Ellen mm -hmm. and this was like my last year of college. And so, um, the road to, to activism actually started there. Mm -hmm. Um, me becoming an activist with, uh, doing work with the human rights campaign, volunteering with them now for almost six years. And so, um, kind of seeing it take off is kind of like, wow. I was just thinking about this yesterday. It was like, wow, you know, I've been doing the work and, and it's just, it's been incredible. And yeah, like just growing up down South, it, it's never easy. It's never easy because you always wanted to find bigger, better opportunities, which is why I felt like Mississippi wasn't just for me anymore. And I came out to California for those opportunities. And it's been really incredible, Melinda. It's been super, super incredible and just super grateful. I know that was a lot, but no, that's I love <laughs> no, I love getting the backstory of everything that you do and how you got to this point because it's really, really crucial. But I, I want to back up a little bit because I've noticed in a lot of the conversations I've had. Mm -hmm. with members of the LGBTQ community and whether they're bi or whether they're gay or whether they're trans there always starts with a point and then there's a progression and I'm curious and I hope this doesn't sound ignorant or too invasive of a question but mm -hmm. when you came out as, as bisexual did you not know that you were trans or was it a way to kind of make it it was more of like a means of survival like if I just say this maybe it'll be okay because I do mm -hmm. have different feelings you know what I'm does, does, it, does yeah. that make sense what I'm asking Absolutely. That's actually a really good question because the feeling of me being trans actually came as a child, but I didn't know what trans was. Gotcha. I just knew that I felt female. Like that wow. was always what I wanted to be, be a female, be a woman. Um, as a That's kid, I was related wanted, to, That's what you related to. Is what I related to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always wanted to be around my mom. I didn't really like sports and all of that stuff. And so coming up in high school, going to a predominantly black high school and even being gay was a taboo uh thing back then and yeah. so um landing on bisexuality because i was still attracted to women but i secretly liked men and i knew that i wasn't able to really just be who i was there was another trans person i, I actually went to school with and they actually showed up in a dress and they actually got sent home by the principal mm. for being a disturbance to the learning environment and so i didn't want that and so um but also in high school, I had a lot of issues going on with me, too. Like, I was very angry. Um, I had a temper issue. Um, I had a lot going on with me because I was struggling to bust out and just be who I was. And I felt like I had to be silent and complicit because, one, I didn't want to get thrown out of my parents' home because right. I knew I didn't have no money. I knew I didn't have any job opportunities. So a lot of this had to stay hidden. And two, I didn't want to experience discrimination. I didn't want to experience violence. I didn't want to experience those things because I, 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 I had an understanding back then of what potentially could happen to me. Um, around that time, even like going back or whatever, Matthew Shepard had already been killed. And I was um, kind of like, um, his story kind of really stuck with me. Um, coming out as gay, and his parents are so amazing. I love Dennis and Judy. I actually know them. They're really, oh, truly, truly amazing um, people. And, you know, their story always just kind of stuck with me. And when I actually got to meet them in person, it was like, 
oh my God, like my heart just dropped. Like I just, I love Matthew and, and just, you know, and everything. And so, yeah, it's one of those things where you're always doing a deep dive within yourself. Yeah. Sometimes some things may not be there right away. That inkling or that feeling may be, but until you do a lot more soul searching and find out who you are, yeah. that's kind of when everything opens up. So yeah, that feeling of transness was always there, but I knew for my safety, probably coming out as bisexual was a lot better than coming out as trans, if that yeah. makes sense. No, it does. And that's exactly what I was asking because I and I'm so, you know, sympathetic and empathetic to specifically mm -hmm. the trans community because I do think it's a community that is the most misunderstood. And right. there is a level of fear. Like I can't even imagine feeling like if you can't be true to yourself you're you're worried about being kicked out of your parents home or being un, you know not accepted at your by your peers or at school mm -hmm. so and you know it's specifically with teens you know going through those feelings that you're already going through so much crap as a teenager like you not yes. feeling like you can be yourself has to be so debilitating it's really interesting it's just really interesting how coming from back then to where we are now mm -hmm. in 2021 when we talk about trans issues when we talk about queer issues especially within the black community i've been getting into a lot of those conversations lately and it's it's really interesting and there's more resources available i feel like for people to mm -hmm. feel safe there's more outlets for people to reach out to because you probably didn't even have anybody that you could talk to that might have already been through the journey that you went through but now you're probably that mentor and that person for somebody mm -hmm. younger that they can look to and talk to so that has to also feel good for you feeling like that you could be the person that you needed absolutely it does feel great to me to be able to give back yeah. and to be able to kind of help someone who's kind of gone through what I've gone through yeah. and you're so right about resources because when I came out as trans which is um around the age of 20 um I had to do it in private I had to do it in secret like I would leave the house I would leave my mom's house dressed as um myself as a woman but then having to um like detransition when I got home because mm. it wasn't allowed in my parents household yeah. so yeah. um and then honestly to be quite honest with you even the opportunities for trans folks in Jackson Mississippi at that time were just it was so limited because number one, they were shuffling us with the gay men. Yeah. They were kind of always like intertwining us with the gay men. So whenever there was research, because again, I was in the health field, whenever there was research, uh, all of a sudden, like the gay men and the trans women had to come together and, you know, kind of like unpack it together, which was crazy. And then also sex work was something that was um, um, kind of important, actually, in my journey, because I ended up joining a gay family because, again, like there's not much support for trans folks. And so mm -hmm. there were gay families. Yeah. And I was of the, uh, the Dynasty Dupree gay family. Um, and I love them so much because they really took care of me. And, you know, on the weekends, we used to go out to the beat and we would do sex work because that's what we thought that was all that we could do to it survive. To you. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? I had a full time. I had a job. Yes. I didn't have a full-time job. I had a part-time job. Um, and I was uh, going to school, but some of that I was trying to, I was trying to really fund my education because I knew that my education was going to be my safety net to make it in the world. Mm -hmm. I knew that working on the beat, going down there on weekends was not for me, like it was other girls. Um, I understood that um, you know, it was their safe haven. And at one point it was my safe haven too, but then there were times where I was shot at 
I got maced by one of the other girls. Um, I experienced violence. I had my car stolen. Um, I got robbed at gunpoint. Like, it was a lot that really just happened that was like, no, this is not for you. And so um, education was my safety net because I knew that if I wanted to transition, that I was going to have to be competitive with my uh cis counterparts for jobs for opportunities and i knew that if they just looked at me as the trans person that they see someone who they don't understand they're not gonna hire me Mm. so my degree is gonna have to speak for me right right and that's that was kind of like my whole um mentality with everything and i and i i understand now that even going to college is a privilege being able to afford to go to college is a privilege if you've been in the prison industrial complex you can't really go to school the financial aid is not going to really support you and so um also if you're undocumented that's another thing as well too like there's just so many different um obstacles and challenges with that and so if you're able to go to college and get an education that's a privilege. And so that's something I've had to recognize over these last couple of years. And you made history when you graduated from Mississippi University. You were the first Black trans woman. Absolutely. I was. And it was so interesting because after that, that whole episode of Ellen, when I was on Ellen, Ellen and uh, Caitlyn Jenner gave me this $20,000 check for school. Don't you know, when I actually went back to that college, no one mentioned it. Not one news media outlet. Uh, People were talking on campus, yes, but it did not get attention. But then two white students who actually went to the college Mm -hmm. and culinary also got a $20,000 scholarship and they blasted everywhere on um, the school's website. Mm-hmm. Like they were just um, um, just putting it out there. And it's so interesting how institutional racism actually yes. hit me back in the face yeah. and reminded me of my place mm-hmm. in society. And so, and I still have issues with that school. You know, I, I did graduate from it. They didn't want to give me that title of the first black trans woman. I was the only black trans woman that was open. They had housed me one or two semesters in a men's dorm. They had housed me, well, actually twice, yeah, like two or three times, actually. Um, It was not until I was on Ellen that they decided to break the rules and house me in an all-female dorm. Because the law in Mississippi is you have to actually show paperwork that you've had the bottom surgery. Mm. You actually have to show it in order for them to house you in colleges in Mississippi. So that was something. Is that the law? I think so. And you know what? I think I need to go back and I need to check on that. And we need to really relook at that because, again, it's traumatizing as a trans person going to college um, sometimes. Like, I didn't have a lot of friends at first. Um, luckily, um, my sweet mate ended up becoming one of my first friends. And like, we're like this still to this day, like my little brother Mm -hmm. and, you know, going to the cafeteria and eating by yourself and nobody wanted to talk to you because you're so different. And look, I'm six foot three. So people just did not understand how to deal with me. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was very frightening for me, but through it all, I wanted my education. I wanted that degree so bad. It got so bad to the point where 
my before the year before the the semester i was on ellen and caitlin's show or whatnot like i had to do a gofundme just to raise money for my tuition mm -hmm. i'll never forget um angelica ross who we know from pose and american horror story mm -hmm. uh, actually shared my um well she donated to my gofundme and she asked laverne cox to uh reshare it and laverne reshared it and it actually got paid off in five hours wow. from when she actually um, shared it. Okay. I mean, and the amount was probably like eight, nine hundred dollars. But for me, that was a lot because I was actually having to drive three hours back from college just to work. Um, and that was only a part time job. So only in the summer, and I think I only had like two or three months to pay it. Yeah. So it was just like not, it was just no way. It was literally no way. And so I had many, many struggles going through college. And it's hard for trans people um, in the education system because of all of these, uh, the, like the, the institutional racism, the sexism, the classism, and all of these things where um, these things are happening in clear, plain sight. And there's nothing that you can do about it because mm -hmm. trans, queer, gender nonconforming, non binary folks don't really have that much right. say so. Yeah, and they don't have safety. Yeah, exactly. So in terms of, you know, having more rights for that community, what are mm -hmm. some things that you would like to see happen, whether it's in, in education, whether it's politically with healthcare, what are some things that you really want to focus on in the next year, specifically with mm -hmm. your activism that you're fighting for? Absolutely. I want to um, I want to really focus on moving the needle pushing the needle. Sometimes it's going to be slower <laughs> than other times or whatnot, but I really want to move that needle forward because we got to have these tough, uncomfortable conversations. I'm ready to peel back these layers, get down to the core things, bust open the core, get down to the root, rewire, deprogram, remove old outdated ideologies and thinking, and replace it with new foundation, with new wiring, with new understanding, with healing, with you know, with empowerment, all of those things. Because again, you know, we gotta face these conversations when it comes to trans people. We gotta face what's happening in the black community specifically. You know, I go on this app called Clubhouse mm -hmm. and I'm listening to heterosis black men telling heterosis black cis women that black trans women are trying to replace them. Mm. that we are responsible for the nuclear family being dismantled in the Black community. I've actually heard these things come out of hetero Black cis men's mouth. And truth be told, white supremacy has created this hierarchy within the Black community that's really put a lot of hetero cis Black men at the top, mm -hmm. everybody else in the middle, and Black trans, gender nonconforming, non-binary queer folks at the bottom. Yeah. And what's happening is, and they get mad when I say this, when police come in and they take the life of a hetero black cis man, we're all expected to come together and shout Black Lives Matter because that's our birthright. Blackness is our birthright. Let a black trans, gender non-conforming, non-binary, or queer person get shot, mm -hmm. killed. Silence. Silence. And so where, what does that say about us? What does that say about where we are in our black community? Um, there's, it's, it's just, a, you know, Melinda, it's just a lot to unpack. Yeah. And I think because a lot of us are triggered, a lot of us are traumatized as black folks because of a lot of the conditioning and the generational, um, things that have happened over and over and over that were passed on to us as a legacy. It's like, where, where do we begin to heal? What does that look like? What does healing look like for us? Um, slowly, I do think that it's about just 
being able to sit down and have a conversation first, having this self-awareness and self-acknowledgement of old, outdated ideologies that some of us may be carrying around that we need to dismiss and dismantle. Mm -hmm. um, that goes for me, too. Um, like, we're all a part of this movement together. Yeah, no and one's exempt from learning and moving forward, for sure. Exactly. And no one is left out of the Black movement, no matter what your, no matter what your intersectionality looks like. And intersectionality is an important thing. However, I've also heard some heterosis Black men say, oh, I don't believe in intersectionality. And it, it pisses me off because I heard this the other day on Clubhouse. It pisses me off because intersectionality exists. Like, hello, you are a black man. That's intersections. Mm -hmm. You're black and you're a man. Like, yeah. like, that's just simple, basic knowledge. And so when I hear black cis men, not all, but some say that, I, I side eye and I'm like, you know what? This is you're, you're you're upholding white supremacy and you're yes. upholding patriarchy. Like that's yeah. literally what white supremacy teaches us. Yep. It yep. teaches us to gaslight. Yep. It teaches us to ignore the most vulnerable. It's a power dynamic. It is. And I think that a lot of people don't realize, specifically people within marginalized groups, they don't realize how much they're actually upholding white supremacist ideals. Yes. You know, I think that black women as a whole are the ones that are seeing all of that and experiencing it, you know, because black women, we will uplift everybody, right? We uplift everybody. Yes, we, we stand up for everybody. We show up for everybody. But we have the two things working against us, being black mm -hmm. and being a woman. Exactly. We carry everybody's trauma yes. as well as our own. Yep. Yeah. And that's just, it, it's crazy because black women always are saving the day. We are always, always. saving the day. But always then we're... Always. Yeah, but we're some of the most disrespected. Uh, we're some of the we're some of the ones that's ignored the most. And don't even get me started. Let me peel back one layer on that. You know, you're a darker you're a darker skinned woman. I'm a lighter skinned woman. Mm -hmm. So there may be some things that I may say get away with, and if you say and get away with, you're deemed the angry black woman. Right, and that's me. also an ideal of white supremacy because you go all ah. the way back into slavery and that's what colorism started. They separated us. And it makes me so angry yeah. because I wish that, you know, when you have these groups pinned against each other, I wish they would all just turn around and look at the person that's actually causing the problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause you do, it's true. Like I've the colorism issue within black women, it, it upsets me because I'm like, you guys, this is such an old, archaic thing that happened back in slavery times. We need to not do this anymore. Right. They created this separation between us. Mm -hmm. They did. It was Absolutely. a completely white supremacist thing because they deemed lighter skin being closer to them so that would make them better. They were the house slaves. They were the ones that, you know, were caught. That you, we were all slaves. Okay. <laughs> so right. Matter. You yeah. were better. You were still a slave. Yeah. It's it's crazy how much that needs to be impacted within individual communities. And I don't think any community is exempt from it. I mean, you see it in the Asian community. You see yep. it in the Latin community. You obviously see it in the Black community. It's something mm -hmm. that people really need to start addressing. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. You said some stuff there. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's like, I, and, and Melinda, I separate and I question. It's like, okay, how do we begin to break those curses? That's a generational 
thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's archaic. Exactly. And so it's like, how do we begin to break that? I think that part of it is, again, going back to that self-acknowledgement, the, the way that I acknowledge that. Yes. You know what I mean? Like having a self-awareness because when I when I look at some of my other uh, Black trans sisters, my sisters that have a darker complexion than I do, and I think about the much, how much sass they get back from people when they speak up and speak power into these moments. And then you have me on the CNN LGBTQ town hall being able to say what I needed to say and security not touch me, security not try to come to me because they actually told security to back off me. Mm. But then a few of um, three of our Latina trans sisters were escorted out when they were carrying the trans flag, mm. when they were disrupting Pete Buttigieg's um, segment. So it, it's interesting how I look at my privilege and, and like the little privilege that I've kind of garnered even though it's not much, it's still a privilege. And yeah. if if I don't acknowledge it, I'm gaslighting. So right, right. um it's it's important that you know we we remember our privileges and where we're able to navigate. And how because you can use we, it to affect other people in a positive way. Yes, you that's exactly where I was born with that. Like, mm-hmm. how can we strategically move? Because me and you, in order for us to, to to actually get to liberation, we don't have to move in the same direction. Right. Like you right. could be doing your thing over here and I could be doing my thing over here. And yet we're both equal because we're both trying to achieve the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Like we have to move around. We can't all move together in that way. That's how I strategically think. Like we're all together. Yes. But like in the physical realms, like if you're in music and I'm over here, um, uh, writing or, 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 or in the spiritual world, like, you know, we're just, we're still trying to achieve that liberation through uh, different methods of art. And that's beautiful. It's so beautiful. But I think even just narrowing it down to the trans community, um, one thing I do see, there's a big, big divide uh, when it comes to like trans folks who may be in entertainment or on TV or in the Mm -hmm. films and stuff like that versus the trans girls and trans men um, and trans masculine, trans feminine folks who are in nonprofits um, on this side, who have their own organizations, grassroots, who are maybe going to school um, or doing sex work, just trying to survive. And I talked about this on Instagram in one of my videos about Janet Mock because um, there was a lot of controversy dealing with her. Um, as you know, she made a powerful speech at the season three um, finale um pose party i guess premiere party and i had to really break it down like you know there's like people like ryan murphy bring in this white supremacist picket fence that has classism on top of it and it divides the girls and so these girls over here are sometimes being shaded and jaded because these girls over here are doing um one thing and they have to be the representation of the entire community because they're on tv so we hold those girls to a higher standard Mm -hmm. than the girls in the nonprofit, the sex workers and all that stuff and truth be told even when you get on this side because the fun part about me is i get to double dabble between both so i see it um and plus i'm a libra too (laughs) (laughs) but 
One thing I've noticed is when you get on this side and when you get into Hollywood, there is a level of complicitness that has to happen. They don't want those girls as activists that's going to speak their mind. They don't want that. They want you to hush. I'm going to give you this opportunity, take, take it or leave it, and go on about your business. That's and that's what Ryan Murphy true. has done. He profits off that. That's in, I'm, I'm glad you actually brought that up because it, it kind of falls into that whole performative activism thing where, hey, mm. we're going to give we're going to give these marginalized people a platform by being seen. Mm. We'll let them yes. be the representation, but we really don't want you to actually say anything. That's what it kind of mm. feels like. Does it, does it come across that way to you? 100%. Absolutely. Like They don't want like they will hold the girls' opportunities, dreams, goals, aspiration hostage mm. for their profit. And Ryan mm. Murphy has done that for like three seasons. Uh, and he was able to get away with that. Luckily, those actors are finding work elsewhere. I think they're talented. You know, uh, Pose is a groundbreaking show for the community. Um, even though I didn't know anything about ballroom, I learned a lot from them. Um, and I knew um, a couple of the cast members um, before that show came. And kind of like seeing some of them just, you know, do their thing in front of the screen, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? No matter how people feel about them, you know, it's, it's, it's trans people thriving some way. Yeah. So, you know, it's just one of those things where I hate that people like Ryan Murphy and some of these these producers in Hollywood um, who are white, especially, want to come in and divide community even further. And yeah. because we're conditioned in the trans community, and I hate to say this, because we are so disenfranchised and we're always pushed to the back of the line, we don't always see that we deserve full course meals instead of the crumbs. We settle for the crumbs because that's all that society has given us. Even as trans, even with this last um, administration, like trans rights were always under attack. Trans people not being able to go in the restroom that they need to go into. Okay, trans people not being able to serve in the military, the homeless shelter. There yeah. were so many trans-specific issues, but there weren't many gay and lesbian and bisexual issues. And this is why I say in the LGBTQ community, if you are not trans, you have a cis privilege that we do not mm. get to have, that mm. a lot of trans people are willing to forego their trans existence and go stealth to be able to access some of that stuff, like safety, employment, housing, all of those other opportunities, healthcare as well too, all of those things. And so this is what we have to wake up within ourselves. Um, we have a lot of work to do. And this is not saying, just because I'm saying these things, doesn't mean that other groups of people's issues don't matter. Of That's course. not what this is about. This is not the oppression Olympics. <laughs> but sometimes we fall into that. Yeah. Because some groups of people do get more of a spotlight than others. And for the trans community, it has been a long time coming from the Marsha P. Johnson days to where we are today. Yes. It's yes. been a long time coming. I think what I, what I fully believe is that there is space, time, and enough resources to accommodate everybody. I truly do. I truly believe that. And, you know, I think some people, I think people can do one at a time. Like, I don't think everybody should try to overload themselves because then it gets messy and then you probably are going to mess right. up. But it's fine. As long as we know that at some point everybody's going to get tended to, then I'm fine with that. But I think it's the worry that 
not everybody's needs and rights are actually going to be tended to. And I think that that's the biggest issue. And what I do see and what I have heard from my trans brothers and sisters is that, you know, sometimes they just don't feel like their needs and their rights are ever going to be addressed. So I do hope, I think, you know, Biden did make a huge step when he first got into office and in reversing everything that Trump did, which is a big deal. So that's great, but let's see where we can go and how much further we can yeah. with this, you know? Can I tell you something about that? Can I be yeah. quite 100% honest we and transparent do. about do. it? Yeah. I've noticed that the people who are so happy about Biden doing that are a lot of our white trans brothers, sisters, and siblings, white LGBTQ folks. For Black trans folks like me, it's like, okay, where does the work begin? You're literally undoing things that Donald Trump put into place. Mm -hmm. That's a given to me. Yeah. yeah. When I look at President Biden, when I look at Vice President uh, Harris, I expect them to do those things. Right. That's yeah. not work for me. Like, they're doing the right, conscionable thing. Yeah. And I do agree that, you know, please clap where it, where it needs to go. That's fine. Give credit where it's due. I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm ready to see the liberation. As a Black trans woman, I'm ready to do a deep dive. I'm ready to get my hands dirty. I'm ready to get on the ground. Mm -hmm. This is what I need. And I just really notice that it's a lot of our white LGBTQ and white trans folk that really, really are like, resharing the things that Biden says and all this other stuff. And it's just like, okay, when do we call them in? It's that intersectionality. <laughs> that intersectionality because that white privilege is a true, true, real thing. Because even talking about Caitlyn, um, and I think I'm going to have to make a video sometime soon and post it on my platform about Caitlyn because... I benefited personally from Caitlyn. Yeah. You know, I yeah. was that Black trans woman that benefited very personally yes. from her. And, you know, she's running for governor. And I will say this, though. You know, she's trying to run for governor, and she's doing it in such a very toxic way yeah. that's not empowering. But when it comes to people trying to shut her down and trying to say, you know, just trying to go up against her, this is not the responsibility of black, brown, and indigenous trans folks because in 2015, we tried to do that. Mm. In 2015, a lot of us were called to educate Caitlin. I was on her show. Mm -hmm. A lot of us were called to help her. Some of these organizations like GLAD, the Human Rights Campaign, like... You know, we were all called in to do the work. We were all expected to forego her opinions, her po her political views, and accept the fact that she was trans. And mm -hmm. we don't push away other trans people. We accept trans people who are coming into who they are. So I get that. Yeah. But now, for Caitlyn's behavior, it's not up to us. It's these right. white trans folks. It's these white LGBTQ folks that need to be keeping her in check because this is a constant reminder that this is the damage and the harm that your white skin mm. can do because you have that type of power. Yes. Yes. Caitlin should be more of the wake up call for white LGBTQ people, especially white trans folk to understand that when you have this particular skin color, the harm that it can do 
This is why you need to be mindful. That's my whole thing with Caitlin. But it I'm going to have to make a whole video classism. on that. It also goes into the classism thing that you were talking mm-hmm. about when it comes to her. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, other people that go through all of these struggles that aren't in Hollywood, being a part of the trans community, they don't have the privileges and benefits that she does as being a white trans woman, but also just being a famous white trans woman. It's right. very, very different. And that's exactly what you're talking about. So, yeah. I'm in agreement with you. And, you know, even not being a member of that community, I could see how problematic it could be for black and brown trans people, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. I was looking forward to that video. I think you should. I think you need to speak out about it. Because it is yeah. I can see why it's difficult, because she did help you. And she, you did benefit from her. But, I, I, you know, using your voice to say, hey, this is how I feel about what she's doing. I think it's important. I think people do need to hear from you. Exactly. And then Ellen, too, because it's like, both of them are in the news roughly at the same time. This like crap. Like yeah. <laughs> I have pictures I with both of them. Like right. I, I was in a picture right. with both of them. So it's like, whoa, I it feels very karmic because I will say this, Melinda. There were things that were happening back then that because I was new to fame and new to that type of attention, I was very I had many blind spots about. Mm. Looking back now, like, I'm glad I'm in a stronger place now, like, with, like, where I've come to. And yeah. it's like, there's a lot of healing that needs to happen going back. Right. Um, and I feel like the universe is kind of karmically bringing those things back to me. Um, and so we'll see about that. But, yeah, it's just not going to be our responsibility. And I'm just tired of, as a Black trans woman, trying to have to take that responsibility, having yeah. to carry the weight of, of, of community. And sometimes community not always supporting back yes um yeah. it's kind of like the thing too but the thing about being an activist like it's expected work um they don't have to like you in order for you to advocate for them yeah. that's the, yeah. that's the <laughs> thing about being an activist like that's the hard part about being an activist and i try to maintain that vision whenever i i really just have these conversations and really just think about the work yeah well i think the work that you are doing is remarkable blossom and i do think that you are inspiring and i appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today can you let everybody know where they can follow you and keep up with the great work that you're doing Thank you. Absolutely. So um, my IG is at Blossom C. Brown and also at Tell All Blossom because I do tarot. Got my tarot page up. Got to do some tarot videos coming up in the week. Um, It's the same on Twitter at Blossom C. Brown. I think I'm Coach Blossom C. Brown on there. And then on Facebook, Blossom C. Brown. So please follow me. Show me some love. I would love to hear from you. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you, love. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And to the listeners, make sure you follow Blossom and subscribe to We Need to Talk. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Bye.